Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, just a poll real quick. How many of you wear corrective lenses? How many of you have some type of... Many of you don't, huh? That's, that's interesting. Um, but all of us, all of us have had the experience of not being able to see, yes? We've been in a dark room, tried to make our way through, uh, tried to put our hands out in front of us so that we could navigate when it's been, been really, really dark, yes? And most of us have the experience of knowing what, 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 what it's like to have light completely extinguished. Um, I mean, some of us have corrective lenses, so when we don't wear our glasses, um, practically, functionally, our eyes are sort of like useless. Can you imagine if you lived before, before like we had glasses or contacts? Um, some of us actually uh, have, have um, eyes where corrective, uh, corrective lenses don't help at all. You know, and so we all have some kind of experience of what it's like to not be able to see. And I mention this because Jesus tells us that there is a type of blindness that can actually happen to us, whether we see perfectly well or not. And that blindness can actually inhibit us from living the life that God intends for us. Uh, He tells us this in very clear language in the Sermon on the Mount. So if you've got your Bible, you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to look at a few verses from Matthew 6 this morning. We've been in a series uh, on the Sermon on the Mount and looking at Jesus' words to us about what the good life actually is. Uh, So he, uh, as we've been talking about, gives us some very kind language around, here's what it means to live really, really well. And so uh, in our section for today, he talks to us about a type of blindness. And here we go, uh, verse 19, or verse 22. This is what he says, The eye is the lamp of the body... If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And what is that darkness about? Well, we find that out in the context. So we we read the verses before and after we know what Jesus is talking about. He says in verse 19, the section right before, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your, everyone say it with me, heart will be also. And then we, of course, have our section on eyes. And then after eyes, he says something. He gets a little more direct. And here's what Jesus says to us. Verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, here's Jesus in very clear language talking to us actually about money. And so what he's saying, the blindness is actually about, the blindness that can keep us from living life truly well, the blindness that can keep us from living the good life as Jesus intends it, is actually, that blindness is actually about money. Uh, In fact, if you were to translate the word or look at a translation of the word healthy, uh, you could see that the, the word for healthy could actually be translated, maybe even better translated, generous. Your eyes are generous. And so how do you escape the money blindness trap? Well, you escape it by being 
generous. And then the word for unhealthy in the context can actually be understood as divided or greedy. So here's Jesus talking to us about money and how money can make us blind. Um, So we preached this message in the 9 a.m. service. And for half an hour while I preached this message, it felt like the whole room was uncomfortable. Uh, and so I was talking to Jess about it, and I just just had a few suggestions for me. I, I, I think I want to say we are committed to preaching everything in this book, everything. And at times, I mean, how many, how many of you know that Jesus actually talked quite a bit about money? And so uh, I want you to know that I am just as much under this teaching as all of us are. Uh, in the room. And so I don't consider myself to be an expert in matters of money. I don't consider myself to be like, you know, um, like I should start a radio program and take people's calls or whatever. I don't consider myself that at all. Uh, I actually, uh, this is to me. So I'm actually opening up what Jesus has to say to us with all the humility I can muster. I mean, Jesus is speaking to me too. And what Jesus is telling you and me today is our eyes are actually critical to our generosity. They're lamps to our souls. Uh, Jonathan Pennington wrote a commentary on the Sermon on the Mountain. Here's what he tells us. One's actions or way of being in the world create in us light or darkness. So in other words... What Jesus is telling us is Jesus is saying that your eyes, what they take in, what you look at, can actually affect you internally. What you look at, what what you see, can actually change the way that your heart feels. Like, we know this to be true. How many of you have ever gone online looking for something, you're looking for one thing, and realized, maybe I need that other thing too? Because it just popped up in your feed. That little Amazon feed that goes goes by and tells you all the things that you need, yes? Or you go to the store. Um, Some of us still go to the store, yes? Some of us do. We go to the store. And then it only takes us uh, the the time from walking from the front door to the store or the place that we're actually getting to to realize we need all sorts of other things. Well, why does that happen? It happens because our eyes affect what happens in our hearts. Our eyes affect our desires. Here's how negative that can be. You know how powerful images are, yes? So many of us are imprisoned by images that we have seen in the past. Many of us actually have addictions because of what we look at. And here Jesus is telling us something very powerful. He's saying what you can look at, what you look at can actually make you blind. What you can look at actually can put you in the kind of darkness that, to use his words, is so very great. And what he's saying to us this morning is, this is the predicament with money. He's actually telling you and me we're blind to our own greed. Now, when I say the word greed, or say the word greedy, I bet most of you, when I say that word, think of someone or someone else, not yourself, maybe. Um, You think maybe greedy people are out there. Maybe your mind immediately goes to people who have a lot. The very, very wealthy. They're the ones that have the money problem. 
Uh, you think about all the shows. It is a rash of shows that have come out recently about the obscenely rich, and the shows called like Billions or Succession. You know, I don't recommend those shows necessarily, but you watch a show like that, the obscenely rich, and you see how blind they are to their own greed, and you think, well, that must be about them and not about me. Because I won't ever have that kind of money, so I won't ever have to have that kind of experience. But Jesus is telling us it's not true. Money blinds us to our attachments to us. So like if I advertise that we were going to talk about money today, many of you might have said, well, this is a good day to sleep in. Yes? If I said, hey, we're going to talk about money this morning and put it on Instagram and put it on Facebook and get ready for like Jesus' withering words about money, you would have been like, maybe I'll skip that one. Or it's cold outside and my, war- my bed feels nice and warm and I'll just stay in here. But if I advertise instead about that we're going to talk about sex, you know, maybe this whole room would have been full. You know, who knows? It's just, now part of, part of the reason why I say that is because I think, our, now I, I, I get it, our world conditions us against talking about money. It does. Because our world wants us to, to spend, doesn't it? I mean, the primary way that our world wants us to be is a consumer. So the world is constantly filled with messages for us to spend, spend, spend. And so when someone has the actual courage to stand up, I mean, I'm not saying I have courage. I'm actually shaking my boots. But someone actually comes up and talks about money the way that Jesus talks about money. Well, the world doesn't want us to do that. I'm speaking really transparently here. I mean, I have a hard time calling out greed in myself. I mean, I, I feel like I'm a pretty vulnerable person. I, I feel like I would talk about my weaknesses with any one of you. I mean, most of you know that, that uh, I am a weak pastor. I want to be known as a weak pastor. But even I have a hard time calling out greed in myself. I mean, for a long time, Brittany has been trying to get me to read this book on the king's economy, King Jesus' economy. And I go, yeah, 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 I'll read that at some point. Uh, she's like, well, you should really read this book. And I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. That seems like a good idea. I'll get to it later. Because I don't think I have a problem with money. I don't. Uh, but if we don't want to talk about it, and we assume all is well, and we've never really examined our attitudes about money under the microscope of the Holy Spirit, I wonder if some blindness is happening. I mean, when was the last time you really looked at your attitudes about money? It feels a little like going to the dentist, doesn't it? Um, I love my dentist. I'm not saying anything about But it's not a pleasant experience, is it? And so here I am saying, well, why don't you examine your attitudes about money? And you'll be like, yeah, 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 maybe I'll get to that later. I wonder if we have that attitude, if there is actually some blindness happening. I mean, I ask these questions to myself. Am I postured toward healthy eyes, generous eyes? Or am I postured toward keeping everything I can get for myself? You know, the money blindness thing is actually such a problem that Jesus uses the word mastery around it. So look at what he says here. No one can serve two masters. This is verse 24. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both, everyone say it with me, God and money. So what is Jesus doing? He's elevating money to a power. He's saying that money can actually be a God. 
And what does it mean for something to be a God? Well, here's what it means. It's very, very simple. It goes like this. It can make you its servant. That's what, God, that's what Jesus is saying. Money can make you its servant. It can be a God. It can be an idol. It can make you its servant. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays, that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The God of this age has blinded. Remember, money blindness. If anything is a God of this age, doesn't it have to be money? I mean, or maybe to say it more properly, there are forces of evil. This is what the Apostle Paul tells us very, very clearly. It's not mystical. It's reality. There are forces of evil in this universe. And what are those forces of evil leveraging? Well, they're leveraging money as their most powerful tool. And, uh, and here's, what, here's what the Apostle Paul says. The effect of this mastery is that we become blind. And so blind that we cannot actually see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ who gave himself for us and who loves us so much, who is the image of God. The effect of blindness is that it keeps us actually from seeing the real truth. Now, I'm certainly not saying that we're not believers if we experience some of this money blindness. I think that most of us in the room um, believe in Jesus, yes? I get that. But here's the thing. I'm going to say this again because I think it's so important. We live in a world that wants us to spend. We live in a world that has normalized debt. We live in a world that wants us to orient in our identity primarily as consumers. This is how the world is. It's hard to overstate how much the world conditions us to act and to be in the world as people who are always preoccupied and under the mastery of money. But what Jesus is telling us is Jesus is telling us, listen, money, here's the bad news about money. It's, it can enslave you and it can hinder you from serving God. And so then Jesus challenges us to get present to our real attitudes about money. And here's how he does it. He says in verse 19, here's how um, we can get present to that money blindness. Um, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Verse 19. Where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up instead for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So part of what Jesus is telling us is Jesus is telling us when we have a geography, our hearts have geographies. And when we want to know what we really care about, well, our money tells us the story. Uh, when we want to know the geographies of our heart, when we want to know where our hearts are headed, where, what we value, what we worship, well, our money is actually the most telling thing. Now, recently I've noticed, now this may be around, have been around for a long time, but recently I've noticed, I mean, how many of you notice that when you go into your banking software or your credit card company statement or whatever, it gives you a little pie chart? Does anyone notice this? Yes, you know, like Brian, this may have been around for years, but I'm just starting to notice this now. 
It's a pie chart. And what does a pie chart tell you? Well, it tells you what you spend your money on. It actually will do this, too, for your bank account. It will just do this. It'll do a pie chart. Here's how you spend your money. When was the last time you looked at that pie chart? I mean, really looked at it. Like you open up your, your app and say, you know what, I'm going to look at that instead of just go, oh, that's nice that they do that, and scroll by, which is what I do. I look at it, and I go, do I really want to look at that? I don't. And so I scroll by, and I don't even look at it. But here's Jesus telling this boy, it would tell you something very, very important about you if you looked at that pie chart. How you spend your money is how you know where your heart is. Here's what Je- this is what Jesus is telling us. And so part of, part of the money blindness, part of the money blindness that Jesus is warning us against is he's saying, don't stay in the dark. And here's one way that your consumeristic world is trying to actually maybe even help you. Maybe this week you could do that. <laughs> Get open up your app and actually look and say, did I really spend that much money on uh, food or, or whatever that may be? Uh, and ask yourself the question, do you see a mastery there other than God himself? And of course, this isn't just about how we spend our money. It's also about our attitudes and our hearts, right? Look, if you just thought about this for a moment, what happens when you think about money? And some of you have like smartwatches. You can open up your blood pressure little app, and I'm going to say, think about money, and you can watch your heart rate. Um, because what happens, what happens when you think about money? Some of us have some healthy indifference about it, but a lot of us feel pretty worried, don't we, when we think about money? Because listen, the world wants to tell you a story about how much you have and don't have, and it wants to tell you you never have enough. The world wants you to think of, the, think of itself as a finite resource, not a world of abundance as God has intended it. So you must get your peace before someone else gets theirs too. That is, by the way, straight from the pit of hell. God is a God of abundance. He's created a world of abundance, full of good things for us to enjoy. And it's the world that wants to teach us that the world is finite. And so we better get that before all the, all the I mean, like three, we, there are only 300 made, so you should buy one before it goes away, you know? Like, I mean, there's all sorts of ways that the world reinforces that. But if you, if you think about your hearts and your attitudes toward money in your heart, what are you feeling, how preoccupied you are with it, you can start to see maybe there's some mastery there. And maybe I have some of that money blindness. And by the way, I'm not even mentioning debt, am I? I mean, doesn't debt have a way of occupying our attention in ways that are super harmful? Look, look this, this money, money thing feels so important. It is so important. I mean, Jesus obviously centers his teaching a lot around money. Uh, we want to help. So if you're here and you're thinking like, boy, I, I could use some help. Everything you're saying, Ted, I get it, but I need help. I need some outside help. Like my, I, I have grown up, say, with like generational debt. I don't know what to do about it. We have people here that might help you. I mean, there's a person sitting over here, Brian. You know, um, Brian's like smiling at me like a little impishly. Could you raise your hand, Brian? <laughs> There's Brian. Brian, this would, be a, would have been a day to wear your shirts. 
he wore these neon shirts that talked a lot about debt, you know, like so. Uh, this would have been the, one of those days. But we do have people that would help. And Jeff Kirsten also. I mean, just people in our church that will help. Um, and, and here's the thing. I mean, what does Jesus do? He's always kind. He doesn't just point out the problem. He also points out the solution. Because he's also the source of freedom. I mean, he, can, he tells us how we can get out of our money blindness to have healthy eyes. Uh, here's how we can fully activate the good life as it relates to money. It's in, it's in the verses I just read, so let's look at them again. Um, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so here is Jesus telling us, well, here's how you get out of the money blindness trap. Here's how you break the mastery of money over you. You break it by not storing up treasures on earth, but storing up treasures in heaven. That's how you break it. Very, very simple. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. This is how you walk into freedom as it relates to to money. And so what are heavenly treasures? What are they? Well, here's the Apostle Paul giving us a clue. 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 14, here's what Paul tells us. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation, the foundation which is Jesus Christ, using gold, Silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. The day at the end. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. So Paul is telling us that we're all builders. We're all building something with our lives. I and mean, we just sang about it, yes? And what Paul is telling us is he's telling us, well, build on that foundation using gold, silver, costly stones. Because if what has been built survives, you'll get to take that with you. That's your heavenly treasure. So in other words, build your life upon the foundation of Jesus Work and act with him as the focus. Work and act with his character as the ethic. Work and act under the leading and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Work and give and give richly and give generously. Yes, I'm talking about your bank accounts because that's partly related to this. Maybe it's wholly related to this. Give, give generously. All of these ways are investing in heaven. And the, thing, the, the net effect of that is that they fill your body with light. Your eyes become healthy. By the way, Jesus tells us this in a similar way elsewhere later in this chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 6. He tells us, seek first his kingdom and the right living of the kingdom. Uh, In other words, make it your aim to aim your life at that kingdom, the kingdom where King Jesus is the ruler and not the sort of the flimsy and fickle identities that come from money. Seek first that kingdom, work for that kingdom, do good in that kingdom. And notice that this isn't just a command, it's a promise. If you do that, 
you'll get a heavenly treasure, which is what Apostle Paul tells us. But here's the other thing that happens. All these things will be given to you as well. So what are all the things? Anyone? Uh, you read in the context that the things are actually the things that are the basic necessities of life. So he tells us, uh, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Here is Jesus telling us, if you seek first his kingdom, then you'll get the stuff you need. You'll get clothes, you'll get food. And you get the other things that you need. And look, uh, it's hard to believe that, isn't it? And, and if it's hard for us, I can't even imagine what it's like for first century people. Because first century Israel, when they were listening to Jesus say, saying this, he was saying it to people who were under oppression, who were crushed by taxes, many of whom were desperately poor. It's radically countercultural to say, you who are under oppression and you who are radically poor, well, why don't you trust me? And if you trust me, then all these things that you that you desperately need, well, all those things are going to come to you. How does that actually happen? Well, here's how it happens. I mean, it doesn't make sense logically, but it makes sense when you see that word kingdom. Kingdom is about power. It's about the king who is in charge, Jesus. That king has all the power, and it makes sense because that king wants to bless us. That king wants us to flourish. That king wants us to have what we need. That king cares even for the sparrow. It makes sense because of the word kingdom. It makes sense because all of the heavenly uh, power to provide for us is leveraged on our behalf. Kingdom is about power. It only makes sense to seek the kingdom and get everything we need if it's God who's the king of that kingdom because that God wants you and I to flourish. That's how it makes sense. He owns everything. He can make it work out for us. But here's the other thing. There's a restorative justice angle to this as well. Part of what Jesus is saying to us is, I am the architect of a new economy. One where provision actually happens supernaturally in the kingdom, but actually also happens through one another. Now, the word um, oftentimes for money in this uh, Matthew chapter 6 is in some of your Bibles, you might have seen the word mammon. Has anyone seen the word mammon before, God and mammon? Well, what's mammon? It's the Aramaic word for, for money. Uh, so uh, have you ever noticed how manna and mammon are actually pretty similar? So... Uh, mammon and manna are actually similar words. What's manna? Well, does anybody remember what manna is? You know, like, so when the, uh, the, the Israelites were making their journey, um, their exodus out of Egypt back to Israel, uh, they were like, well, we wish we could go back because we're really hungry, actually, as it turns out. And so what actually happens? Well, well, they wake up one morning and there's this stuff on the ground and they collect the stuff on the ground uh, and then they eat it. And they're like, we don't know what it is, so that's what we'll call it. We'll call it, what is it? Are you going to get some more of what is it today? Yeah, I'm going to get some more of what is it today. You know, and, and there was always enough manna for everyone. You remember that, yes? I mean, like in, in Exodus, uh, it tells us, um, I mean, this was, a, this was actually like an economical lesson 
that God was teaching, Yahweh was teaching to his people, that there was a world of abundance at the hand of God. There was plenty for everyone. Uh, People who gathered much, people who gathered little, everyone had enough. And he's also teaching us that we need to take care that the resources get distributed to everyone according to their needs. Some gathered much, some gathered little, but everyone had as much as they need. In each household, maybe one person gathered a lot, and then they said, oh, you didn't get enough? Well, let me give you some of what I have because it's going to rot anyway, you know, um, if you know the story. But, but anyway, there was, this, there was a lesson that was being taught about this economy, the economy that, that in which... Uh, there was supernatural power leverage on our behalf, but also we provided for one another. This is what we're being invited into. When it says seek first his kingdom, it's the kingdom. It's not just the king, it's the kingdom. And part of the kingdom is the community of the people of God who are called into a new economy to provide for one another. This is a social economy. I mean, like I know countless stories of people who seek first the kingdom, who all of a sudden, when their money is about to run out, they get a check in the mail, covering the exact shortfall. I mean, some of us have stories like that, yes? Uh, but I also know stories where the shortfalls do happen, where we don't have enough money, uh, where we're actually desperately still needy. And, and what I have to wonder about is I wonder if it's because the whole of the community of God hasn't learned the secret of manna. I wonder if part of what Jesus is telling us is learn the secret of manna. Not mammon, but manna. And so then it makes me want to ask the question, what's your part? In the king's economy, you have a part to play. Now, the first service, I told everyone to turn to their neighbor and say, you have a part to play in the king's economy. And everyone was like, ah. So I won't make you do that. I won't make you do that. Okay, you have a part to play in the king's economy. Just like you're saying it to one another. It's almost like, it's like one of these little tricks that I do. that will be like, oh, I see that trick coming a mile away and I'm not doing it. But anyway, the, the question is, you have a, the question that I want to ask you is, what's your part to play in the king's economy? There are some people in this room that don't have enough. And we want to help you. If you're in this room and you don't have enough and you're wondering how are you going to make it to the next month, we can help you. As a church, we can help you. Come talk to one of our pastors. But I also know that there are some in this room who not only have enough to cover their needs, they have enough to cover everything they want to. I'm not here to be the greed police. I'm really not. I'm, I'm aware of what the Apostle Paul tells us. In 1 Timothy, uh, he tells us, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Listen, God's good gifts are to be enjoyed. But look, though, at the next verse, verse 18. Command them, in other words, those who are rich in this present world, to do good. To be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. This is what the Apostle Paul tells, uh, writes in the letter to 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6. Uh, Command those to do good them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In other words, those who have a lot have a part to play in the king's economy. 
have healthy eyes. I learned the secret of this sort of generosity here at this church. When I was in my early 20s, I was being mentored by John Wilson and Steve, and they were like, you need to take Eloise's class. Does anyone remember that Eloise... Anyone remember Eloise McKittrick McDowell? Like she was our kids pastor for a really, really long time. Well, she taught a class on budgeting. I thought, well, I'm gonna. This is gonna be a real doozy. I'm gonna go because I I knew Eloise to be a woman of real power in the Holy Spirit. And I thought, you know, like, well, this is gonna be great. Uh, and then I go in and it's like it's a budgeting class, <laughs> you know. Because um, as it turns out, also, I mean, she was such a careful steward of what God had entrusted to her. Um, so I learned to give, actually, and it was at this church that I learned actually to tithe or to give 10% of my gross income to the church. I mean, like I started doing it here at this church. I gave 10%. I began to give 10% of my gross income to this church. I still do it today. And I was a poor seminary student. So what little money I had, I just, you know what? And it's actually a little bit easier to give when you don't have hardly any money, you know. Um, And that was sort of my my lesson or my entree into it. And, I mean, here's the thing that I want to say. I mean, does the church need my money? I mean, I give a little more than 10% of my gross income. Does the church need my money? Well, I mean, that's sort of a trick question. We're a member-supported church. Of course, the church needs the body of Christ to give. We need the money. But listen, I I think the thing that I want to say is giving this money is far more important to me than it is to the church. Because it shapes the quality of my life. Like, when when I started to give, here's the funny thing that I noticed. I always seemed to have enough. Uh, before I gave, I noticed that my money would bleed in all these sorts of like odd little ways that I had no idea. They weren't even my fault. My car would break down unexplainedly or something else that would happen w- would happen that was out of my control. I just started, but I, when I started to give, it was almost like I said, hey, you take care of it, Lord. Like I'm bad at taking care of my money. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to say, I'm going to give you the first fruits of my labor. I'm going to give you 10% of my gross income as a way to say to you, I trust you with my money. And wouldn't you know, the Lord in a, in a, in a, in a very sort of miraculous way started to take care of my money. I mean, the little things that seemed to happen that would bleed out of my bank account didn't seem to happen as much, although they always do because we live in a fallen world, but I always seem to have enough. And later when I moved to my first pastorate, which was in the Pacific Northwest, I think I made $12,000 a year. Uh, now, I didn't grow up in the 1900s, so $12,000 a year was not very much money. Just want to say that, okay? Uh, this is about 2000 And they gave me a little money to cover the cabin I was living in. I lived in this cabin, by the way, uh, next to the lake. And uh, I lived in this cabin, and it was heated by a wood stove. And so I feel like a very urban person. And so then I moved to this cabin, and it's by the lake. It's on the lake, actually, so I could go out on the dock at, at night if I wanted to or in the morning or whatever. But, the, but it was always too cold to swim. Anyway... The point of the matter is, it didn't really suit me to live in that cabin. And there was, a wood, there was also a wood stove. That's how the cabin was heated. So when I went to the cabin in the beginning, I was like, well, how does, where's the heat? It's like, oh, it's that. And they pointed to this little pot-bellied stove in the corner. 
So you have to go get wood and put wood into the stove, and then it heats the house. I didn't never done that before in my entire life. Uh, and what I learned is that what you do is you put wood in the wood stove and you make it super hot in the house for like unbearably hot for like an hour so that it, the heat sort of leaches out and then by the morning you're cold again. Uh, or that's how I did it. I don't think it's the right way to do it, but I didn't know how. I think all I'm just trying to say is I didn't have very much money and I lived in a cabin. And some of you are thinking, cabin, that sounds wonderful, but not for me. I wanted to be in the concrete jungle, but that's where I lived. And then when I moved to California, I mean, I was so far under the poverty line. I was living in one of the most expensive areas of the country. I lived in the small bedroom of a Chinese lady's house who um, always washed my, did my laundry for me, which um, I thought was really nice. I mean, I had my boxers like all folded up by this lady I didn't know in front of my in front of my door in the morning, I'd be like, oh, well, that's great. I don't know how to feel about that. But I later realized that she did that because she didn't want me to waste water. She was so frugal. So she, was, she wasn't doing it because she liked to fold my boxers or it was sort of like this voyeuristic thing. Well, I wonder what color boxers he wore. She did it because she was afraid of the money thing. Like she looked at me and she thought that must be a person who wastes water. So then she started washing my laundry for, for me. Um, I'd never had enough. I never had enough. I never had enough. But, but somehow I kept giving. And in the giving, it always seemed like there was money in my bank account. And I had remarkable provision. I mean, uh, I, I ate at more houses, not my own, than I could count back then. Which is how it works. It's partly supernatural, and it's partly communal. This is the king's economy. This is actually the good life. Because the fact of the matter is, uh, unless we're the 1% of the 1%, we're always going to have money trouble. We always are. Why not put it in the hands of the one who's so generous himself? Generosity is what we're inviting you into this morning, is what Jesus invites us into. Generosity is what Jesus tells us is a good life. Generosity resists the God of money. Generosity returns back to us. Generosity breaks the mastery of money over us. Generosity fills our storehouses with more than we thought possible. Are you generous? Are you generous? Are you a person with healthy eyes? Are you generous? And you heard me say quite clearly that generosity, I, we tied to the church. We do want you to give. But it should also be said that if generosity is a feature of the good life, don't be surprised if you feel prompted to give in other ways too. It'll happen. It'll happen because this is how it works. The people of God in the world move to generosity. Uh, they teach the world a better story, that the world is not finite but that in the world, a God of abundance can actually meet you. This is the Sermon on the Mount, and this is Jesus' wisdom for us today, who, by the way, generosity was also good for him. You do recall that, yes? I mean, Jesus, who was so generous, he actually gave his life. Why did he do it? Well, he partly did it because of the joy set before him. Even generosity was good for him. And so... Could I invite you into generosity this morning? Let's all stand. Let's all stand.
Again, I just I want to reiterate this. If you're here and you're having any trouble or any struggle with with uh, with your finances and you need help, we would love to help you. Come talk to one of the pastors. Um, but for the rest of us, Jesus, I pray that you would send us your spirit and make us like the aliens in the world that we are called to be, the exiles in the world who look so different than the rest of the world in our generosity. Would you help us to be generous as you are so generous with us? Send us your spirit and make us generous as you have been to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.